When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Unofficial Bengals Podcast. Welcome to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. All right, this episode is going to be a review of the AFC Championship game, and we're also going to welcome in Tom McLevy for another McLevy Minute and Justin Lacey. What's up, Bengal Nation? This is Adrian the Mad Backer Ross, and you're listening to the Unofficial Bengals Podcast. Who day? Cincinnati Bengals fans, I would like to introduce Frank LaPlaca. So any of you that have listened to the show before know that I'm a pretty emotional person. I'm kind of like a ride or die guy. You know, the highs for me are euphoric. The lows for me are on the verge of manic depressive. And in this game, I ran the gamut of negative emotions, unfortunately. There was frustration. There was despair. There was hopelessness. There was sadness, and ultimately there was anger, just like the Super Bowl last year. You know, I thought I would be more sad than angry, but I was angry because a couple players let us down, and it was such a great season, and there was missed opportunities, and it's just like, you know, when you start an NFL season, you're starting at the bottom of the mountain, and you you go through all this adversity, and the highs and the lows, the good luck, the bad luck, the, the good plays, the bad plays, the whole thing. And you climb that mountain. And in this case, you know, we almost got to the summit and we got knocked down to the bottom again. So there's that whole despair of having to start over next year from the bottom of the mountain. But I guess, you know, that's what life is about. You know, the journey is often better than the destination. And, you know, when I think about it, I'm so passionate about this, as a lot of you guys are. Like, I I almost like Bengals football an unnaturally large amount. And, you know... In all reality, I feel bad for the people that don't have something like this in their life. That, you know, don't have something that they're this excited for. You know, on Sundays in the fall, my world stops all week. I just can't wait for these three hours. It's just, it's the highlight of my week every week. And it's, I I just love it so much. And I, I have a full life. You know, I have a family. I have a girl. I have friends. I have activities. I've done a lot. You know, all of that. So it's not like I'm just, you know sitting in a box watching the Bengals on TV with nothing else going on in my life. It's not like that, but I just care about this so much. I I just never shook that childhood love for the game of football and the passion for this team. And to go along with that, I'm going to read a quote, and I don't want to get too philosophical. You guys know that. I like to talk football and keep it light, keep it exciting. But there's a quote, and it's from Theodore Roosevelt that goes back a long way. And this describes what I'm talking about as far as like, having an extreme passion for something where it really motivates you and and really consumes you as compared to just kind of being laissez-faire about things and not having anything like that. Just exactly what I said. So here's what Roosevelt said in his quote. Far better it is to dare mighty things, to win glorious triumphs even though checkered by failure, than to take rank with those poor spirits who neither enjoy much or suffer much because they live in the gray twilight that knows neither victory nor defeat. I'm reading that. I'm closing the book on that. But if you think about it, that's not just empty philosophy. That's exactly what I'm talking about. And and those of you out there that have this kind of passion for the Bengals or for anything in your life, I applaud you. And that's living. You know, if you don't care about things and everything's just like, yeah, it's all good. You're not enjoying life the same way. But at the same time, you don't have the highs and the lows too. So along with that passion comes the lows. So after this loss, I knew I was heading for a bit of a period of depression. And maybe I'm growing up. Maybe I'm, I'm finally putting it all together. I don't know. But you know what I said to myself? And I don't know if this is a consolation. I don't know if... I don't even know what this is. But I, I just said to myself, you know what, Frank? It's just a football game played by strangers who really don't care if you live or die. And I know that sounds cold. And obviously I care about this so much, but... I need to put it in perspective because 
I'm devastated by this. You know, honestly, it's been a rough year for me in my personal life, and I'm not one who's going to go off on that. We all have our problems. I'm, I'm sure if you heard my problems, you'd be like, man, you know, that, that's a tough year. But I'm sure if I heard your problems, I would be saying the same thing. So it's not about a comparison on, on who's got it tougher. But, man, this hit me hard, and I needed to cope with it somehow. And coping with it in one way is talking to you guys about it and doing this podcast. And the other way of coping with it is putting it in perspective and saying, you know what, it really is just a football game. <sighs> All right, so let's move on with the episode. First, I'm just going to go over some quick headlines. Then we'll talk about the game a little bit. And you know what, if this was a live show, I would actually poll you guys and say, do you want me to review the game? Do you want me to talk about the observations and the offense and the defense and the key plays and you know everything I always do? It almost feels like I don't even want to do that in this episode. But, you know... I guess we owe it to ourselves. to We analyzed every game up to this point, if you've been listening to the show all season. So why not analyze the biggest game of the year? So, you know, put the emotions to the side. Let's get down to business. Let's talk about things. So first off, it was a great season. And next episode, we're going to break down the games, the performances, the the grades for the players. We'll do all that. But just in general, you guys know it as well as I do. This was a magical season. We won 10 games in a row. We were literally the best team in the NFL as we were heading down the stretch. And we we had that same feeling as last year. Like, no one's going to stop us, whether we're on the road, whether we're playing everyone's favorite Patrick Mahomes, no matter if the offensive line is having problems. We just knew that we were going to persevere. And honestly, the magic ran out on us. Just with 40 seconds left in the game, the magic ran out. The magic that's been there for two years. And the magic that's going to continue into the future. But it ran out. And now we're, we're stuck with the fallout of it, of, you know, being upset over this, being depressed, having to climb the mountain again. But with this organization, there's hope. I mean, look at the roster that we have. Look at the coaching that we have. Whether the coaches go elsewhere, who knows? Just look at the organization that's in place. And this is a team. This is a, I, I'd never known a team like this. And this team was so unified and together. And it, I've just never seen anything like it. So it was a real special season, and it's a shame that we couldn't take it all the way. But we know as, as Bengal fans and watching the sport and watching this team and just kind of seeing where we're at, that this isn't the end. You know, we're headed for a bunch of good years, and I can't wait. A couple other things. The CBS intro, I loved how they went through that whole intro. of It was a child's game played by grown-ups and... You know, that kind of puts things in perspective. Like I said before, it's just a football game kind of thing. But I thought that was a really emotional, great intro by CBS. So I'm going to give them credit for that. All right, so let's move on to some some critique and, and some analysis of things. So first off, the officiating. Here's the problem with the NFL. I have a couple things I need to vent on. And again, I, I sound like a broken record, but I never blame a win or a loss on the officials. And I'm not going to in this game. I'm not going to do it on the Logan Wilson pass interference last year. There's so many plays that go into a game, you can't just say that the refs blew the game for us. But here's the problem. Because there was a basketball scandal years ago where the refs were throwing games and they were calling more fouls on certain teams and not calling fouls on certain players, and there was a, an official that came out with it, and it just... it jeopardize the integrity of the sport. Go, go Google it. You'll know what I'm talking about. I don't even know the names, the, any of the history behind it. I just know that it was something that I heard a few years back. And you know the whole world is suspicious that Vegas has its pulse on the NFL and has influence on the referees and the outcomes of the game. You know, you look at these, the Vegas lines are so crazy. You know, they'll pick a game by one and a half and it's a, a one-point game. You know, they're so on with everything. And you can't totally do that through computer analysis. I, I, I don't know what happens. But anyway, we're all suspicious that the refs are on the take a little bit. Maybe, you know, is that conspiracy theory? I don't know. But in a game like this, it kind of reeks of it. Like when you have calls in the fourth quarter that they weren't calling all game and, and stuff like that, this just did not help the reputation of the NFL and the officials in Vegas. I just want to say that. Read into it how you want. Develop your own thoughts and opinions on it. I don't know. It, it's it feels so hard to to put together a conspiracy like that, right? Where the refs are getting paid by Vegas and they're throwing the game. It's just like someone would find out somewhere and expose it and blow the whistle. It's just there's too much. The information in in the world right now is just too free and free flowing and too available. It just seems like an impossible thing. So I don't know either way. But when you see stuff like this, it doesn't help that that myth or that narrative. So one of the things too, they had Torbert 
doing the Bengal game this year. And I just have a little more awareness. You know, this was a guy who led the officiating crew. He wasn't throwing every flag in the Super Bowl, nor in this game. But here was a guy who was responsible for a really bad call against Cincinnati in the Super Bowl last year. Why would you have the same official do the Bengals game? It just isn't right. You know, like, they had two crews, right? One for the AFC game, one for the NFC game. Have Torbert do the NFC. Why did he have to do the Bengals game again? It's just, you know what, as soon as I saw him on the screen, I was like, oh man, this game's going to be decided by a penalty late. I'm not even kidding. I'm not trying to be the know-it-all. I didn't know who was officiating the game until, until I saw his face on TV calling his first penalty. And I was like, man, I just know how this is going to end. And of course, that's how it ended. And it, it just doesn't do much to help the conspiracy theory. But, you know, some of the other things, I never saw a play redone like they did. You know, normally when the next play goes off, there's no turning back, right? That's why teams rush to the line of scrimmage to get a play off when, when a team's going to challenge it. Because once that play happens, you can never reverse it. And they did. They did in, in one of the three most important games of this NFL season. And what did it do, really? It wiped out a sack, maybe gave up a few yards of field position. It only cost like a minute off the clock. But it was just a really bad look. And then there were the penalties in the fourth quarter that I like to call selective. Because they weren't calling some of this stuff earlier in the game. So you, you had a late hit on Burrow. You know, when the quarterback releases the ball and a second later someone knocks him to the ground, whether it's a, a smashing hit or a push, you throw the flag, right? You expect the flag there. They didn't throw the flag in the fourth quarter. You had the hold on Hendrickson on that last play where Mahomes did the scramble. I mean, I, I, I framed by framed it, and the guy's holding him around the neck. Just all the, all the things that you look for in a hold where you're not just blocking the guy, but you're wrapping him or you're you're pulling him from behind or from the side. The same, same thing, fourth quarter, a bad pass interference on Hilton. And then Joe Burrow, they called the grounding on that play. And Piran was kind of in the area, but just like the other. That, so Burrow had to do that three times this game where they had a screen or something set up, the play got blown up, and he kind of whipped it into the ground. They don't call the first two, but they decide in the fourth quarter to call that one. That's frustrating. And then you go to the punt return at the end. I mean, how many... I would say legitimately, and you guys could probably back me on this, what would you say? 50 to 60% of the punt returns have a block in the back or, or some kind of blocking penalty. I mean, maybe maybe that number's high, but you get it. A lot of punt returns have penalties. And in this case, there were two block in the backs on that final punt. I'll go into the play later, but there was one on Johnston, there was one on Morgan, and it led to a big return, and it shouldn't have. And you're going to let that happen at the most important time in a game. You're going to let the officiating decide a game. You're going to be flag happy on certain calls. And then on certain blatant things, you're you're going to hold the whistle. I just don't understand it. It makes me angry. I never want to see that man, Torbert, or his crew again. And that even was, Tom McLeave is going to go into this in a little bit. They do this all-star crew for the NFL. They just have the whole officiating thing backwards. These guys aren't full-time. They do an all-star crew for the most important games rather than a crew that's worked together. You know, you, you got guys, it seems like some of these refs just want to throw the flag to get some TV time. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm getting bitter about it. I'm going to stop that conversation now. But you know what? My next freaking three topics are all going to be negative too because unfortunately that's what, that's what happens after something like this. All right, so let's move on to Joseph Asai. So that, that's that's a big story from this game. And, you know, as the fourth quarter came around, Tony Romo said something that was actually pretty profound. And he said, if you make a mistake now, a crucial mistake, it's almost a fireable offense. Right? This is the AFC Championship game. You know, you're not – who knows when you're going to get back to another one. And we have a great team. We probably will. But who knows? Anything can happen. It could be a decade before – there could be 10, 20, when was the last time before last year that we were to an AFC championship game? You understand it could be a lifetime. There could be lifelong Bengal fans that will be dead by the time they get to a next game. If, you know, you just never know how things are going to play out. So we go to Joseph Osai. And I'm not trying to be the know-it-all, but all season long I've been saying this to you guys. He plays recklessly. He's always on the ground. He's, he's I mean, give him credit for hustling. We'll go into that in a minute. But he's, he's on the ground more often than not. 
he's friendly fired some of his teammates, like Jesse Bates. He almost knocked him out of out of a few games with just not being aware and and friendly firing your own team. And that's Osai's game, right? He's a raw player that maybe doesn't have the football acumen of, of a lot of the guys around him. So he he makes up for that by being a hustle guy. And you know what? He's I'm going to out-aggressive you. I'm going to out-hustle you. And that works, but you need to have poise on top of that. It's like a fight. It's like you have a guy coming out, and he's just going crazy throwing roundhouses. And he's facing a guy that's that knows martial arts, that's not all freaking out, but just planning his moments and being more effective. That's almost how I associate it with Joseph Osai. He's just out there throwing haymakers regardless of who gets in the way of him. And it burned him this game and it burned us and it burned everybody. That was a ridiculously bad play. And yes, I'm going to say it. It was on the level of Jeremy Hill because it wasn't physical ability. It was, it was a mental mistake where you blacked out and didn't do the right thing. Jeremy Hill, the goal was run the ball, run the clock, hold the ball. He fights for an extra yard or two that you don't even need, and there's a fumble that loses the game. Osai, you have Mahomes going out of bounds. You probably have him stopped where they're going to have a real hard time putting points on the board from here. And a good three steps out of bounds on the white, you decide to hit him. It's unforgivable. The old saying is, sorry doesn't fix the lamp, right? You broke the lamp. Sorry I broke your lamp. Well, the lamp's not fixed. I always had one, you know, oh, sorry I ran over your dog. Sorry I hit your dog with my car. All right, yeah, I feel remorse and, you know, maybe I deserve forgiveness, but your dog is still dead. So Osai crying on the bench, I, I understand it. I feel for you. I understand how much you care. You made a really, really bad mistake. And I don't know how you recover from that. I don't know what. You're going to come in next year and get 12 sacks and, you know, I just don't know how you recover from that. I don't know if he's ever going to recover in my eyes. Did Jeremy Hill recover in your guys' eyes ever? Jeremy Hill was upset. You saw him. He was making ungodly noises on the sideline, just like, you know, screaming into the air, like, why kind of thing. Same thing with Osai. He, he was just more sad than crazy about it I don't know you know maybe I'm, I'm being a little uncool about it but it hurts and it was it was a mental mistake that can't happen and and you know what I'm sorry to say it goes a little bit on the coaching they should have seen the film from I don't know 12 weeks back where he, he slams into Jesse Bates unnecessarily and they should see why are you diving on the ground all the time you're taking yourself out of the play let me get you're a hustle guy like you know, you, you don't want to put the restraints on, on someone's game where they can't play the way they want to play. I get that. But you also can't let behavior that's going to be detrimental to the team continue. So no one ever put Osai in check. They just put him out there. They ran him out there on, on pass rush situations and said, yeah, just go freak out and do your thing. And in this case, it burned us. I respect B.J. Hill for standing beside him in the press conference. And I also respect Jermaine Pratt. And I know, I know he's a villain right now, but man, he said it. I, I, there's a lot of expletives in what he said, but basically he was like, this is my last year here. What are you doing hitting the quarterback on a play like that? You know, especially someone like Mahomes. You don't hit Mahomes and Brady. Maybe you get away with hitting a Lawrence like that. They might let it go. They wouldn't even for him, but I'm just saying the, the league views Mahomes as a national treasure. Look at all the commercials. They're, we're watching a, a Bengal Chiefs game and I'm seeing Mahomes on commercials in between. And it's like, it, I don't know. He's the golden child. So especially that guy, don't touch him anything outside of the rules because it's going to burn you. And yes, Jermaine Pratt let out his frustration. And I was happy that he did. I'm glad it was said out loud. Because what's it going to be? You know, so much work and effort goes into this. Even you super fans that go out there and spend $6,000 on, on a trip to Kansas City and hotel and dinner and and everything, or or the people at home, you know, you're spending $200 on a tailgate to watch the game with your friends because it's the biggest game of the year. There's so much time and effort that goes into this, a whole season long of playing through injury and adversity and climbing up the ladder. And Jermaine Pratt's one of those. He was in it. He was in it. Every week he was banging around, putting his body on the line, putting his soul on the line. And then to have someone just black out and ruin it all 
yet I'm glad you said something, Jermaine Pratt. You know, most people don't have the courage or they don't want to be the villain like that. You spoke with emotion and you spoke the truth and it needed to be said. Yeah, I hope you guys are still hanging in there with me. I know this is a little bit of a net negative episode. I just got to get it out. We'll start reviewing the game in a minute. Hopefully it'll get a little bit lighter. But now we move on to Akeem Adenergy. And I told you guys, if you'll listen to the show, I've said it about Akeem Adenergy. I never forgave him for a last Super Bowl. I don't know why you can rely so much on someone like this. If you're, And I've said this before too. If you're a backup in the NFL... And when you come in, it's a train wreck. Why be on the roster? What are you backing up? We understand there's a drop-off between your starters and your backup. But if you come in and cost your team a game, you shouldn't be on the roster. So don't get all hung up. You got sixth-round pick, one of our own. We're building him from the ground up. Young player. He's learning. He's learning. He's learning. No. He's already cost you in the two biggest games that you've had in the last... Tw- I don't even know. The biggest games you've had since 1980. 88 season, and he was directly responsible for losses in both of them. He let up three sacks this game. Is he a good human being? Yeah. Do I, I, I've read articles on him. I've seen his social media. He's a likable guy. You don't want to hate on him, but you're just not doing the job. You can't keep doing this, Cincinnati. You can't keep guys on the roster that, well, you know what? They're a drop-off, but they're still going to help us out. I don't know. It just doesn't sit right with me, whether you're a good guy or not. And we learn trash talk leads to trouble. All year long, we're not a team that trash talks. Maybe that's Eli Apple's thing, whatever. He was backing it with his play. But you have Mike Hilton, a leader on this team, a good guy. I like him. I've heard interviews with him. He's likable. Has played his tail off all year. You know, low-key, one of our favorite guys. And he decides to say Burrowhead this week. And it ruined the game for him. They were targeting him. He looked like a deer in the headlights. He let up a lot of big plays. Maybe his worst game as a Bengal. And I'm not holding that as an indictment on Mike Hilton. I want him back. Osai and Odenergy, I don't want him back. I'll be dead honest. But Hilton, I do want you back. But what are you doing giving any kind of bulletin board material in a game this big? What's the benefit of it? You talk trash, you win the game, you get to sarcastically rub it into someone. Like, that. it's not... Like, Is the risk worth the reward for something like that? Just don't do it. We've been so well coached and so well together and so professional. This was just so out of character for him. And what happened? It led to a really bad game for Mike Hilton. And Burrow pays the price for the trash talk. You know, after the game, the Chiefs are smoking cigars and saying Burrowhead. You know, making Joe Burrow look like the villain. Joe Burrow didn't say anything. But one of his teammates did. And it fired up the Chiefs. And... It made Burrow get ridiculed by the Chiefs. It just, it just no, just, just a bad, bad look. And you have Tyler Boyd injuring his thigh in the game. He was having a good game up to that point. When Snead went out, you figured, all right, you know they have a backup in the slot covering Boyd. This is going to be big. And unfortunately, he went down. And he is such a warrior. You know, some guys just lay on the turf and wait for help to come. I've seen him get hurt a couple times and just limp his way off the field. Nothing but respect for Tyler Boyd. And then, you know, you have Mahomes injured. You have Kelsey with the back. I don't know. He looked fine to me, but he came in injured. They had wide receivers hurt in the game. Schuster goes out. Hardman goes out. You know, they were down to not much left, and I'm just shocked that we weren't able to just beat them with with their health coming in and our momentum coming in. I told you, the highs are really high with me and the lows are really low. So to get a little more professional about things, Joe Burrow was in the MVP conversation, which is great. It's going to be his first of many. I don't know if he's going to win it this year because, again, you know, there's other people that the NFL seems to favor. But um, it's nice to see that he was at least in the voting, and he will be for years to come. And he'll get that MVP, and he'll get us those Super Bowl rings. The Bengals coaches are getting solicited because that's what happens when you're a great team and a successful team. So Coach Callahan met with the Colts and the Cardinals. Coach Anarumo, the Cardinals also took a look at him. The Bengals had to give Coach Pitcher some extra monies so he didn't get wooed away by Tampa as an offensive coordinator. So, you know, we're trying to hang on to these coaches. I say overpay Anarumo and Callahan and keep keep the team together for another year or two. But you know how it is. These guys get their coaching head coaching opportunity, and it's a once-in-a-lifetime shot. So you jump on it, right? I, you have to. 
but we'll see what happens with that. I hope we can retain some of these guys. And then in other news, we re-signed most of our practice squad players to future contracts, which is a common move after the season. There were 12 of them that were re-signed. I'm not going to go over the list, but the one that wasn't was Kevin Huber. So it looks like Kevin Huber has played his last game in Cincinnati. And again, great career for him. The Unofficial Bengals Podcast would like to welcome Justin Lacey. All right, we're here with Justin Lacey. Justin, what are your thoughts on everything that you saw yesterday? You know, I have a lot of emotions going on right now because, uh, you know, it was a high-stakes game. Uh, we had the opportunity, and we didn't capitalize on the opportunity. But this is a, you know, I still have a lot of good things that I can take away from this game. But overall, it just still sucks to lose, just like any other fan. It's, it wasn't a great feeling. Were you feeling like the officiating might have been slanted away from us or a reason for us to not have won this game? You know, I can be like any other fan to say, yes, that is the case. But I'm going to try to think a little bit beyond that because there were some calls that went against the Chiefs that I thought were a little questionable. Um, The taunting penalty, I wasn't really a fan of the taunting penalty that was received on them. But overall, I do think the officiating was just off. It was just all the way off. They were making calls that was just so questionable and that just – we're maddening. You know, when it's a, that tight of a game like that, sometimes you just got to swallow the whistle. And I don't think that they did that until the very end. And it just got a lot of fans thinking that is this really is getting rigged right now. And I don't like to be that fan and think that, uh, but I can absolutely see how that can come to fruition there. And what were your thoughts as the game was going on? It just felt like, I don't know, it just didn't feel like our day. It felt like the game was slipping away from us at a lot of points. You know, was there any point in the game where you a either thought that it was going to be our game to win or vice versa, our game to lose? Yeah, that's a great question, Frank. I feel like this was a game that we were ultimately playing not to lose. Like, Kansas City came out, and credit to them, they came out hot. And not necessarily hot as far as scoring a ton of points on offense like they usually do. But they came out hot on defense looking to send a message to the Bengals' offensive line and ready to get after Joe Burrow. They had to hear all week about how Patrick Mahomes is 0-3 against Joe Burrow in head-to-head matchups. Last week when I was talking about how we feel like that this is our moment as a Bengals fan, that this should be our time, you know, when we were on the roundtable episode last week. But then as the week progressed, and you started hearing a lot of trash talk developing, and, and it was just not good. Uh, the most notable trash talk being the Burrowhead comment, and that sort of kind of spread it like wildfire throughout the fan base on Twitter. Then our mayor of Cincinnati got caught wind of it and made his own comments utilizing that same phrase. And it was enough to juice that Kansas City Chiefs team and energize them to play well, you know, to start the game. You know, I do credit the Bengals for fighting back and making it an ultimate game. It was an incredible, you know, slugfest back and forth. But I, I ultimately felt like that we were playing into their hands the whole entire time. And I think that the Chiefs' defense, I felt like that they looked at us and said, yeah, we're going to talk trash too, and they're not going to give us no respect. And they kind of showed it on the field. Um, but like I said, I tipped the cap to them, Frank Clark and – I hate that he had to make his comments the way you know, after the game, but that's that comes with the territory when you start up a brewing rivalry like that. You know, Chris Jones is also a future Hall of Famer. If you ask a lot of people, he took those games, he took this game personally, and it really showed. He played like a man possessed. But you know what? It, again, hard fought game. But I didn't think that we played our best ball early on. Of course, the starting game, and even when we fought back in it, there was still a resemblance of. We're still trying. We're, it seemed like that we were still playing not to lose. All right. Well, here's the big question: Where do we go from here? There's two different things that um, that we can sort of allude to here, but I'm not going to be the pessimistic fan to think that. Oh my goodness, you know this is it, this. I hope that this is not going to be the peak of Bengals years under Joe Burrow, and that it's because it's so hard to get back to where we just been at. And you know, last year we were just in the Super Bowl. We came up short. This year, we made it back to the AFC Championship game against a lot of odds and came up short. We don't want to be that team to start descending year in and year out because it's so hard to get to where we just gone in back-to-back years. I like to be the positive and uplifting fan to think that we'll be back, but the AFC is a very loaded conference, and you who knows who's going to come out of the AFC again. 
But you do like to feel that the Bengals are a staple team in the AFC, along with the Kansas City Chiefs and the Buffalo Bills. Let's not let this loss deteriorate from that. And I think that this should be a learning lesson for you know all of us fans, including myself, that you can work hard as much as you possibly can. You can win a lot of games. It might feel like that the moment is yours, but we don't always win. And this was a lesson that I personally had to take because I spoke very confidently in the Bengals, you know, in last week's episode, saying that I feel like that this is our time. You felt it. You can taste it. It was palpable that the Super Bowl trophy was going to come to Cincinnati by the end of the season when it was all said and done and the dust has settled. But that's just not how it works. You're not entitled to the winning. You have to go out there and earn it. And, again, credit to Kansas City Chiefs. They went out there and earned it. They had to hear all that trash talk all week long. And, you know, they stayed level-headed for the best they can, and they showed it on the field. So tip the cap to them. But I love that this is – if the Kansas City Chiefs go into the Super Bowl and win it, I'm embracing the fact that we are going to be a major storyline for them for years to come because we're this should be like the new hot rivalry in the NFL between these two teams. So that is exciting to look forward to. You know, if you if you for me as a Bengals fan, you know, we talked about the Manning versus Brady days and, you know, the 49ers versus Cowboys in the 90s with Steve Young, Troy Aikman. It's kind of nice that you have an opportunity and you kind of are a part of one in this new era of football. So eventually you got to capitalize it and do finish the job and win a championship for you to solidify this to be actually a golden rivalry here. But otherwise, you know, we got to keep our heads up. We'll be fine. All right, as we head into the long off season, what would be your final words of encouragement or just any words to make the Bengals themselves and the Bengal fans feel better about what just happened? Well, we still got Joe Burrow. That's that's not going to change. You know, we have to get him signed for long term, of course. As far as the roster building, though, I know we got some impending free agents, but if you truly believe in what you're building here, a lot of that stuff will rectify itself. And, yes, you're going to lose some guys, but you're also going to gain some guys, too. Again, as I said in the previous statement, the whole league took notice of what the Cincinnati Bengals have done, so that's very positive um, encouragement there. You're not guaranteed a playoff appearance every year, but you just know with Joe Burrow, you have an opportunity every year. You have a chance to be a championship team every year that he's in your building. So that's always something that you can kind of shed towards. Like if you feel like that all hope is lost, you don't have to feel that way. You know, we got number nine at quarterback, but while that is the case, we have to be able to continue to believe that this organization is going to continue to build championship level rosters for years to come. Even as we go through the midst of paying all of these guys and, um, you know, drafting, developing new pieces and new depth. It, it, things are going to change year to year. But again, I love what Joe Burrow said in his um, in his press conferences a few weeks back about the window of winning a Super Bowl is his entire career here with the Cincinnati Bengals. And when I saw that clip and when I heard it, that was enough for me to continue to believe. You know, you're not guaranteed to win a Super Bowl every year. You're not guaranteed to get to a Super Bowl every year. Again, ask those guys over there in Kansas City. Patrick Mahomes fell short twice. It one time against us. So they had a fight and take back what was rightfully theirs. They were at home and they won and they got the job done with a shorthanded roster, might I add, too. So you're not always guaranteed to win, but you always have a chance with Joe Burrow at quarterback. All right, Justin. Well, I appreciate you coming in and talking about everything during kind of our darkest hour in a while. But um, how do people find you on social media? You can find me on Twitter at J-U-T-T-Y underscore 13, Justin Lacey. AFC Championship Review. Kansas City Chiefs, 23. Cincinnati Bengals, 20. All right, so let's move on to some observations from the game. First off, I know a lot of people don't like Tony Romo as as an announcer, especially a lot of Bengals fans. I really like him, and I don't think he's as, as anti-Bengals as he gets portrayed. And he said a lot of favorable things. He had a lot of great analysis, and Nance is just a total pro. So I was happy to get that announcing team yet again. And obviously this game was such a thrilling ending. You, you couldn't take your eyes away. 
So offensively, we start the game with the first three plays going to Jamar Chase, and I love that. That's the way to start out. He's been a Chiefs killer, and you say, you know what? The first three plays were going to you. And we were successful on two of them. The last one was almost picked, and that first drive was looking good until a false start and a sack kind of stalled it. So it looked like another Cincinnati first drive where we were going to score and get up on teams and never look back. In this case, a penalty and a sack, you know, those things can really destroy a drive. And unfortunately, they did on the first drive. And our defense did the job. We held them the field goals on their first two drives. We were stopping the run. You know, this is, this is a high-powered offense with Mahomes and Kelsey. And, you know, even if they don't have great wide receivers, it's a dangerous offense that seemed to get by everybody. And our defense did what they've done all year. And, you know, you hold the Chiefs to 23 points, that's, that's a pretty good effort. And they were 23 hard-fought points. Then you have Kelsey, their biggest weapon, and um, you know you, you thought we were going to see a lot of Flowers on him. I didn't. I didn't pay attention to every snap of Flowers or Kelsey, but I was noticing you saw a lot of Logan Wilson on him and a lot of Von Bell on him. And the good thing about the team is we went down thirteen to three. We didn't panic. You know, we stayed the course of the game and we did what the Bengals have done for the last two years. We got ourselves back in the game and put us in a position to win. And you know, that's that's the play calling. That's Joe Burrow and. That's the squad around him. And defensively, there was an interception at the 222 mark. We're down 13-3 is the first half. And that's looking I'm, – I'm saying at this point, I'm like, man, all right, if we go down 20-3, to how are we going to climb out of that? And the defense ends up holding the Chiefs to no points at that moment after that interception. So that was huge out of them. And then as the clock winds down, Burrow masterfully leads a drive from our own five-yard line. With two minutes left in the half, we get a field goal inside of those two minutes, that, that you know, those crucial moments. And then the second half starts, and we're the same Bengals that we have been all season. The, the adjustments start taking place. We hold them to a three and out. We have huge momentum. We score a touchdown on the first drive. 13-13, to 13, I was like, you know what? We're going to run away with this one like we have all the others. Didn't quite happen that way. You know, back to the offensive line, you know, they let up three sacks early. But just one after that. But there was a lot of pressures. There were a lot of runs that were blown up. We talked about the three screen passes. You know, there was times where Burrow, the interception, we'll talk about it later. The second one, it wasn't an underthrow by Burrow. He got hit as he was throwing the ball. So, you know, even though the offensive line, I mean, four sacks is too many in a game anyway. But um, there were a lot more detrimental plays than that, unfortunately. Andy Reid called a great game. I thought we, we used Chase creatively on the quick screens when they were doubling him downfield and there was no room to throw. It felt like that all game. I don't know. Most games, we're having guys running wide open and Burrow's just having a field day. I don't know. Maybe it was the pressure, the scheme, them doubling Higgins and Chase. You know, I'm, I'm looking, you know, just from a quarterback's perspective, and I'm like, where are we throwing this ball? So, you know, we, we did the next best thing, and we got Chase involved on some screens and out of the backfield and stuff, so... You know, that was a creative wrinkle by the coaching staff to kind of get past that double team and and just that crowded defensive backfield where there weren't a lot of windows to throw in. And then you have old friend Carlos Dunlap making three pretty significant plays in this game. And I said it prior to my girl. I was like, I hope Dunlap doesn't make a big play and kill us. You know, I thought with his 6-6, he was going to tip a ball by Burrow for a key interception or something crazy like that. That didn't happen, but he made a bunch of big plays, unfortunately. And then you had that Mahomes fumble that was really questionable. It looked really bad. And if they would have lost the game, he would not He would have had a hard time living that one down. And that was one of those things like, oh, man, the luck is just going with us. You know, like the Hubbard interception return. Just so many lucky. Even last year when um, Khalid Kareem stripped the ball from Drew Locke on a game that we might have dropped to the Broncos. You know, just a good plays, but a little bit of luck. And when Mahomes did that, I was like, the magic is here, man. We're just, we just... Everything seems to always go our way. And like we talked about, the magic ran out, you know, with less than a minute to play in the game. And then, you know, now we go down, we tie the game at 20-20 with 13 minutes left in the fourth quarter. We shut them down the whole fourth quarter defensively, except for that big punt return at the end. And that leads to three points, and, uh, you know, we know the rest. Chris Jones was a game wrecker, and we've had a problem with game wreckers, like... I go back to that Micah Parsons game in week two. I go back to T.J. Watt in week one. Those guys wrecked the game, and we couldn't overcome it. 
and unfortunately Chris Jones did it this game, and they were smart. They were moving them all over the place. They had them outside, inside, left side, right side. They were just really smart in scheming him and lining him up against people that he was able to beat, and Sharping didn't stand a chance against him, and as we talked about, Adenogy didn't stand a chance against him. And then you have to give the rest of the Chiefs' defense credit. We're a high-powered offense, and from the 13-minute mark in the fourth quarter, we were unable to score again. And then when Burrow has the interception, we force them into a punt, but still can't do anything. But now we have the ball with 2 minutes and 30 seconds, last drive. I'm like, Mahomes is not going to see the ball again, and Burrow's going to do what he always does and march us downfield. What happens, their defensive line takes over, Burrow gets hit, bangs up his wrist a little bit. They have the big grounding call, and we still get out of it with that hero play to Hurst, which was magic, and that felt, uh, come on, when, when Hayden Hurst had that first down on like a third and 16 at the end, we were all like, oh, we're a minute away from going to the Super Bowl. But you know what happened? You left too much time for Mahomes. We saw that. You know that classic game with Buffalo and KC last year where I don't know how many points were scored inside like the last few minutes of the game, but that was the case. You can't blow special teams and give them the ball at midfield with Mahomes and not expect him to drive for a winning field goal no matter how much time is left. All right, so let's quickly break down some key plays in the game. There's a handful of them. Obviously, there's a billion of them, but we're just going to go over a handful. So the first one is the Higgins touchdown early. We're in three wide receivers with a tight end. You have Irwin and Higgins on the right. What happens? Irwin from the slot does the stop. Higgins just keeps going, and Burrow makes a Joe Burrow-type throw. And T. Higgins makes a T. Higgins-like catch. It was a high-point back-shoulder throw. And Higgins basically out-rebounds two defenders for the touchdown, always catching the ball with his hands. Just a great play that illustrated the greatness of these two players. The next big play, end of the third quarter, it was the Mahomes fumble that we just talked about. Hubbard recovers it again, like the magical return from a few weeks back. And it did feel like the magic came back at that point. There's really nothing to analyze about that play. You know, Mahomes dropped back, the ball slipped out of his hand, Hubbard was right there and opportunistic, and that went in our favor. The third big play was that fourth and sixth throw to Chase to begin the fourth quarter. Same thing as Higgins. It was a back shoulder, high point ball, and on that play, so you had three wide receivers on the right, Chase alone on the left, Chase runs a go route, of course he gets double covered, and again you have that great back shoulder throw. Chase comes through with a 35-yard reception. It leads to the Pirine touchdown, and it was a phenomenal route. You know, I called it a go route, but he really did a little bit of a cut and go. You know, they were calling it like a, a slant and go. It didn't really look exactly like that. But he didn't just fly and keep going. He made one slight glance to the inside and then just kept going, and, you know, he's hard to stop downfield like that. So excellent play, again, by two phenomenal players in a phenomenal moment in a phenomenal game. The fourth big play, it's third and 16. There's a minute 12 left in the game. We're backed up at the nine-yard line after that grounding call. Burrow's wrist is hurt. We have four wides. You have Hurst and Higgins on the same side. Higgins does the go, gets everyone's attention. Hurst basically does a turnaround, and no one's covering him. They, they kind of lost him in the zone. They got too preoccupied with Higgins. Burrow makes a great throw under pressure, a great route by Hurst to get open, and a play in the game where we really thought that the magic was going to continue. And then let's break down the infamous punt return by the Chiefs that really iced the game. It was a decent punt to the 20-yard line, not a lot of hang time, and that's something that Drew Chrisman I know is going to be working on in the offseason next year and for the rest of his career because those lower punts have hurt us a little bit on punt coverage. So what do you have? Dax Hill adding to a somewhat underwhelming rookie season, and he overruns the play and then kind of slips. He, he basically runs himself out of the play. But at the same time... You know, you expect Stanley Morgan to be down there like he has been all year, but he earlier in the play he gets blocked in the back, not called. Then you have Johnston in a position to make a tackle, he gets blocked in the back. And the biggest indicate I mean, you look at the film, you could see it, but you also see the defender like stick up the blocker stick up his arms like like I didn't do anything. I mean, that's like the the key telltale to throw the flag, but for some reason, the crew that just wanted their face time and threw flags the whole game decided to just let those two things go. And then Sky Moore gets outside, and uh, we finally get him at the 50. Crispin laid a big hit on, I, I believe it was a backup tight end. I was so shocked. He, he blew him up. But yeah, that, that was a, a big play by them that I kind of never want to see again. 
I posted it on social media with with a breakdown too, very similar to what I said now. But I'm I'm hoping that's the last time I ever have to see that play. I'm not going to do my usual and do a big analysis of all the offensive players, all the defensive players, and their performances, and Joe Burrow and everybody. But I just want to say that you know Joe Burrow was a superstar again. There was just too much pressure for him to operate normally. He had a bunch of great throws. He had some really good runs. They had that beautiful play call where we just spread him out, and there's no one in the middle of the field, and Joe runs for a big-time first down. Right before the half, he goes 7 for 9 to lead that field goal drive when we really needed it to keep it a one-score game. You have the back shoulder throws. You have that 3rd and 14 pass to Boyd early. You see Burrow getting pumped on the sidelines, you know, getting his offensive line pumped, and he never does that. You know, he's usually... He has that calmness about him, and he was really fired up and demonstrative, and you could see how badly he wanted the game. He's an intense competitor. So nothing goes on Joe Burrow except thank you for taking this team on your back for the last two years, and you almost did it again. If you had a little more help from a couple players, we'd be in the Super Bowl. All right, so let's go over the interceptions real quick. On the first one, and, and again, I, I read Jeff Hobson. I've been reading him forever. You know I don't always agree with him. But here's the problem. And again, uh, this, is my, this is my full transparency episode. I'm not sugarcoating anything. You know, if I ever have a chance at working for Bengals.com, maybe I'm going to blow it with this comment. But I, I'm just speaking the truth. That's the way I'm rolling. I, I'm not going to not give the real story for some maybe impossible future gain for myself. So Jeff Hobson gets a lot of things wrong, to be honest with you. And it's, it's bad because a lot of people read that, and f- even for a long time, before I got involved in the podcast and before I was on social media, you know, that was kind of like my Bible for the Bengals. And I would just read everything he said and, and, and take it for gospel. And, you know, there were years he, he would talk about all these players that we drafted and signed and, and blow them up so much, and then we'd go 5-11. and 11, And I'm like, wait, I thought we had, like, 53 phenomenal players on this roster. So, you know, I know he's on the payroll, so he's not going to totally give his unbiased opinion. There is going to be bias in it. But I just, you got to check your facts on it because the first interception, he he made it sound like Joe Burrow underthrew a desperation heave, and that was not the case. What happened was there was pressure from Adenogy's guy, and it forced the underthrow to Higgins. Burrow got hit as he threw that. He it would have been a touchdown. Higgins got behind his guy. It was just like the Jamar Chase Super Bowl play last year where it was like, man, if you gave Burrow one more second, we had a touchdown there. Go watch the play again. That wasn't a desperate underthrow by Joe Burrow. That was Burrow getting hit on a play that would have been a massive touchdown for T. Higgins and a big turning point in the game. So that's the first interception. That's on Adenogy. Second interception, another go route by Higgins. Burrow was hit by Jackson Carmen's guy as he's throwing that ball. The defensive back makes a good tip on it. They get the, a great play interception. And what happened on that play, it was essentially it became a really good punt because we gave them the ball inside the 20. But the bad part about it was it might have been a touchdown and it ended up being a drive ender. And Higgins made a, a nice heads-up tackle on that play to make it like a really good punt. All right, on to the sacks. So first sack of the game, Volson just got pushed back into Burrow, and Carmen left his block early, which he's been doing a lot. He's He did that a lot last year. It was really frustrating me. But I'm going to say Jackson Carmen had a very good game again. wasn't perfect, but it was it was a good enough game for a winning effort. And same thing with Volson. You know, I know he let up this sack, but there were a lot of plays as I really was breaking down the last couple drives, and I'm watching Sharping and I'm watching Adenergy get blown up, and I'm watching Carmen hold this guy, and I'm watching Volson hold this guy. Not holding penalties, I mean blocking his guy. So yes, Volson let up the first one, but he had a very good game too. Second sack, Adenergy destroyed by a speed move. Third sack, Sharping just overwhelmed by Chris Jones. Fourth sack, Sharping lost leverage, and Adenergy got beat on a spin move. So you put that on both of them, I guess. More on Adenergy. And then the fifth sack was the detrimental one where Adenogy just gets instantly beat by Jones and, you know, one of the things that led to us losing. All right, so that's it. Yeah, a real positive episode of the Unofficial Bengals podcast. I'm really sorry, guys. I had to get it out. I wanted to, you know, speak with emotion and be real with you guys and not sugarcoat things and, and tell you the truth. You know, I watched these games very critically and, you know, I saw a lot of things that unfortunately led to our demise. But man, through it all, it was a great season. 
a lot of fun. Here we are at the end of January and still having Bengals football. I mean, that's just a dream for me and for you guys, I'm sure. So even though the end result is heartbreak and it's going to last for a while, as heartbreak often does, but, you know, we have a bright future and we're going to get places. You know, as a Bengal fan, it's been tough. We had so many down years. We had the Montana magic at the end of the game. We had the the first Super Bowl where we kind of slept walk, you know, bad luck there. We had the Jeremy Hill fumble. We had the Carson Palmer knee injury where that was another great year for us. We had the last play of the Super Bowl where Chase is streaking down the sideline, but the offensive line, Trey Hopkins is blocking no one. Spain is getting beat by Aaron Donald, and Trey Hopkins is looking right to left to see who to block. Like, instantly go double-team Donald. Just like this game, go double-team Chris Jones on every play. Don't leave anything up to chance. But what's done is done. And again, the future is bright. We're going to have so many good days as Bengals. I know I just went through a bunch of heartbreak. Yeah, this year, heartbreak again. This was our year. So, you know, I listed a bunch of things why we feel like the world is against us, or there's some weird force against us, and this curse of being a Bengal fan. It's not true. Our day is going to come. With Joe Burrow at the helm, our day is going to come. I can't wait. The highs are going to be beyond high, and wait till that episode comes out. All right, cheers, guys. We're going to move on with the rest of the show, and uh, the next episode is going to be a lot more positive, I promise. McLeavy Minute. All right, we're here with Tom McLeavy. Tom, what are your thoughts after this crazy game from yesterday? Well, Frank, uh, you know, they lost. Um, you know, you, you're, you go on Twitter and you see all the, you know, the referees, six, you know, NFL is rigged. But, you know, it, first of all, the funny thing, the guy who threw the rough in the passer, I know the guy, he's from Morristown. So the, the the NFL does a an all star cast of referees. They don't take crews, whole crews to play to call the referee these games. They take all stars, which I don't understand. You're you're with a group of guys all season long and you know, one guy calls things one way, and uh, one group will call things one way, and another group will call things another way. Um, listen, was he? He was out of bounds. He, he, you know, the, by the letter of the law, yes, the flag should have been thrown. But you know. This isn't week five. This isn't week 13 of the NFL season. This is the AFC championship game. And that decided the game. Unless that guy is going to bang a, a whatever it was, almost 60-yarder, which I doubt he was because it was cold. In my opinion, those refs should have came together like they did when they gave the Chiefs extra downs because of the clock issue, in that third down episode, and I think it was still Tommy Hill, the, the guy from Morristown, referee, he came in running with his hands out when the play was snapped. And for some reason, he stopped. And he let they let the play go ahead. The offense runs off the field. The punt team is on the field waiting to snap the ball. Then all of a sudden they come up with uh, the clock issue. We're going to replay the down. So you mean to tell me those guys couldn't come together at that end of the moment and, like, say, listen, we're going to be put in a situation. Did he clearly run out of bounds? You know, I mean, try to – but Tommy saw the play – it was a, a foul. Now, go back earlier to where they showed Burrow throwing the ball, standing there for a second or two, and the guy coming in and just shoving him, and Burrow goes to the ground. And Burrow looks at the referee, the head referee, and 
didn't say nothing. Now, that's to my point of saying how come that's why keeping crews together makes sense because they would all react the same on how things are called. Now, that past interference on Eli Apple, when I think it was Osai got the sack on that extra third down play, and the referee in the booth who they have said, in my opinion, I that I wouldn't have called it. In that situation, in that, I would not have called that pass interference. But going to my thing again about the all-star cast, maybe that crew called pass interference. So my point is, there's too many different guys going through the season calling things differently. And to assemble them at the end of the year and make it a call that, Granted, it was a call, but in the AFC Championship, man, that hurts. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm not one to blame officiating, but there were a lot of questionable calls in this game. And then if you go back to Ron Torbert, that referee from the Super Bowl, we had that Logan Wilson call, which was major in that game. It's just, I just hate it when it's decided by officiating. Tom, it was one of those games where it felt like it took us a while to get started. Like we were kind of sleepwalking. What do you, what do you attribute to? Like, what do you think was going on with us? I, I Frank, I have, I don't know. I, to me, all game, Joe Burrow didn't look right. Didn't look like the other games. It looked like he was tentative. He was, I, yeah, you're, you're right. I have no idea. You know, looking back at the season, that game, the playoffs in a whole, we don't have a, a, a difference maker on defense. Like the three, at least the three other teams in the, the this weekend does, like a Jones, uh, like an edge rusher that could dominate a game. We don't have that. That's the one thing. We have good, solid players, but they don't win one-on-one battles. And, you know, in the back of Joe's head, maybe he he expects well, that Buffalo game, Von Miller wasn't there. And Joe looked a lot comfortable, confident, and maybe going to yesterday's game, in the back of his mind, he knows, I got to get the ball out quick. I got to, like, he was, like, forcing a lot of stuff. And, you know, it, it's, it's ironic that, Adenogy gave up the sack yesterday to Jones at the, the the last series, and you know the, both games that was the difference. Their pass rush. Granted, we didn't have more offensive linemen, but you know that's that's the NFL. But uh, we just don't have that difference maker on defense that I think we have to look at next year. But you're, you're right. Joe didn't look comfortable, you know, and uh, it showed. It really showed. All right, well, here's the big question. Obviously, we had a good roster this year. The prognosis for the future looks good. But, you know, after a big loss like this and kind of starting over from, from scratch – where do we go from here? What you know? What's what's the next strategic move for the Bengals in you know in, in your world? Well, right now they have forty four million dollars in cap space, which is excellent. You know, this is this is Mike Brown. That's why he saves money to like a, a, like address things for the following year that he could sign players that go against this year's cap. So, you know, this is Mike Brown's territory, so we will do just fine. But cutting Joe Mixon will save an additional $10 million against the cap. So I expect that to happen. So they'll have even more money to spend. You know, they have some defensive players that have to be, you know, looked at to be re-signed. And, of course, you know, the big one is Joe Burrow. So what they're what I was hearing today on the radio was, you know, maybe they look at 
if they don't resign him, resigning a bunch of guys to go against this year's cap that they can, like a Logan Wilson, Von Bell. Uh, I still don't know about Jesse Bates. I, I don't know. Um, you know, it was uh, it, they have. And the, the cap went up $16 million today, they announced. So all this being said, I think we're going to be in good position to uh, to help the team. That'll do it for this episode. Next episode is going to be a review of the Bengals' season and some player and coaching grades as well. And we may preview the Super Bowl, even though I'm not quite feeling that. I'd like to thank at Bengals Highlights on Instagram, the best page out there. Really cool highlights, really cool music, definitely something you should check out. Thank you for listening to the unofficial Bengals podcast. This is your host, Frank LaPlaca, and I'm a Bengals fan for life. The unofficial Bengals podcast.